You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Ken Burns is one of the most acclaimed documentary filmmakers in America. He's known for films that have captivated public TV audiences for almost three decades, including the Civil War, jazz, baseball, the national parks, and the Roosevelts. His latest, The Vietnam War, is going to air on PBS stations in September. It's a 10-part 18-hour-long documentary miniseries featuring perspective from nearly 100 interview subjects. They include many Americans who fought in the war and others who opposed it, as well as Vietnamese combatants and civilians. The former Ann Arbor resident will visit his hometown this Wednesday, April 19th, at the Michigan Theater to preview and discuss the film. Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis recently spoke with Burns about the movie. He says Vietnam is unique in American history and in modern America. I've done two wars before this, the Civil War, in which we know what happened there. The country was reunited, slavery was abolished. The Second World War is where we defeated global fascism and militarism. So we sort of know everything. Vietnam, there doesn't seem to be a lot of periods at the end of any sentences. And what's always happened is that Vietnam has then, therefore, become the kind of fodder for contemporary political arguments that just kind of perpetuate the disunion that was born back in that period. We're still suffering from it. It's almost as if it's a virus that we caught. And what we hope our film will be is a kind of vaccine, an ability to participate in it, but liberate oneself, regardless of your political persuasion, from the tyranny of those binary answers, you know, yes, no, good, bad, whatever it might be, and to create a space in which you can have divergent opinions and even truths coexist. So more often than not, it's just, did we lose it? Uh, who lost it? Who's to blame? Um, what happened? And we tend not to remember, say, the soldiers or what they did. Hmm. We also completely ignore our allies, the South Vietnamese. Um, we know nothing about the North Vietnamese, our enemy. And in fact, it is in all wars, common to demonize that enemy. But it's really important now in retrospect as we get several decades out and have the perspective to understand things like basic things, like Ho Chi Minh wasn't really running things, as we've been told for so long. And that's a revelation in and of itself. We were able to enjoy such unusual access to Vietnam that we can, I believe, tell soldier stories wherever those soldiers might be fighting for under whatever flag they might believe in, either the Viet Cong guerrilla, the North Vietnamese Army, the South Vietnamese Army, and of course the main force of our film is the story of American soldiers who are trying to get through it. And that's, I think, a powerful, powerful story to sort of free ourselves from that need to make Vietnam a cudgel with which we beat up people whose political points of view we don't agree with here, and to say maybe it's possible to um, rid ourselves of this horrific virus, which is the which is the legacy of Vietnam. Well, it's so interesting that when you said the phrase "we had such great access" or "such access to Vietnam," uh, I'm assuming that you meant the country. But it's interesting that in my brain, the just saying we had access to Vietnam. In my American brain, that is associated with a war rather than a country. And, you know, that's... Well, you know, that's, yeah. that's a great question because I'm a filmmaker, so and I'm a historical filmmaker, so I live in the past. I'm trying right. to will 
old photographs and newsreel photographs, uh, newsreel footage together to make and tell a story combined with interviews, combined with music, combined with sound effects, all of that sort of stuff combined with a very complex uh, narrative. I mean, this is, we will introduce you to about 100 people, all of whom you'll get to know at varying levels as if they're people you could have invited to Thanksgiving. So we did enjoy, for a number of reasons, uh, access to the physical country. Right. We did enjoy access to its archives that have, for the most part, never before been released. But I would say most important, we enjoyed access to the people Mm. of Vietnam who fought in the war, who remember the war, both there and in the Vietnamese diaspora throughout the United States, in Southern California, uh, in Houston, and in other places, to help us have a well-rounded picture. So let me give you an idea. When I say access to the country, I sort of mean it in an immediate sense. There's a battle no one remembers. Everybody knows about Iwo Jima. Everybody knows about the Battle of the Bulge from World War II. Everybody's heard of Shiloh or Antietam or Gettysburg from the Civil War. But if you take away a handful of names like Da Nang and Quezon and the Tet Offensive, you know, the average citizen can't name five battles. Well, there's a battle in 1962 called At Back. We interview the Viet Cong guerrilla on the other side of the hedgerow. At the same time, we're interviewing the South Vietnamese Marine and his U.S. Marine advisor at the same moment that stuff is happening. And that permits what they would call in astronomy a kind of triangulation. It just permits you to experience and you go, oh my goodness. And suddenly a battle has dimension. It isn't like that textbook textbook that you had where you learned about it and it was incumbent upon the textbook to give sort of namby-pamby, wishy-washy answers to those impossible-to-answer questions. And maybe it came at the end of a survey course where maybe you didn't have to spend that much time, maybe a day on Vietnam. And this is a 10-part, 18-hour series that honors the participation of the Americans who fought there and the Americans who fought against the war back home. Do you find, though, that there are, without that understanding, without that triangulation, do you find when you're speaking with Americans who weren't integrally involved with the war itself or um, perhaps felt some level of distance with it, that even today when you say Vietnam they even if you're talking about modern day vietnam the country they still are feel like they're associating it with something negative about a war or a past in american history well it's interesting people who have experiences with the country of vietnam now have nothing but praise it's a beautiful country yeah. it's people 80 million of them most of whom 75% of whom were born after uh, 75 in the fall of saigon they love americans uh, so people tend to have a good experience going back there what we need to deal with is the way in which the war has obviously impacted the personal and psychological lives of the people who fought it. And we've been extraordinarily sensitive uh, to that, the PTSD that so many of our veterans suffer and the, and the desire to find some sort of closure, some sort of peace, something that will help to square the circle uh, with their experiences. But then we've got this very loaded political military history. And it's very interesting that people who felt one way while the war was happening are old enough to have felt that. Now their feelings about the war are colored by whatever their contemporary politics are. And all of that has the 
kind of effect of obfuscating what is brand new. We have learned a lot in the 45 years uh, since, you know, basically our, our presence ended. We have learned so much about North Vietnam, about the battles, about the internal choices uh, from the administrations of Truman, Eisenhower, as well as Kennedy, uh, Johnson and Nixon as, uh, and Ford at the end. I mean, so we're suddenly rich with materials at a point where everybody's very happy to have their conventional wisdom and a kind of superficial knowledge of what took place. And all of that does is sponsor disagreement, hmm. sponsors that kind of binary yes and no, you're wrong, I'm right, that, that figures you must have been, you know, against the war back then, or that figures you must have been, you know, gung-ho for the war back then. But in fact, it's super complicated and so interesting and fascinating that what we've done is we've done in all our films is try to say, yep, yep, you know about the Civil War, you know about baseball, you know about jazz, you know about the National Parks or the Roosevelts or all the other myriad films that we've done. But you actually don't know, and neither did we going in. We don't make films about topics we're familiar with. We make films about topics we're ignorant of, and then we want to share with our audience the process of discovery. If I tell you what you should know the last time I checked this homework, if I share with you our process of discovery, hey, you'll never guess what we found. By 1959, no, 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 that's not a typo. By 1959, Ho Chi Minh remains a figurehead to his countrymen and to the rest of the world, but he's been marginalized. He's, he's been outmaneuvered, and there are other people who are, who are calling the shots, designing the Tet Offensive. Do you want to know about them? And, you know, I haven't been in the 10 years I've been working on this film with an audience that hasn't said, what? Tell me more. Well, and, if the, and every aspect of the story of Vietnam, whether it's Kent State or whether it's the moratorium, whether it's the original teaching that began in Ann Arbor in March of 1965, just after we had formal boots on the ground, no more advisors, now we're going to have real troops on the ground. There was a teaching there. And, you know, I grew, I grew up in Ann Arbor. I was there. I, I was a little boy, you know, 11 years old, but I was alive. And I remember uh, the sort of activity and the bustle and the something new that was going on. It was too late, past my bedtime to be there. But you know what I'm saying? We have a chance to dive deep into these things that have just been encrusted with, you know, their superficiality. Uh, how much of your uh, desire to do this specific series... Um, was driven by wanting to learn something about informing where we are today in our political and military structure. You know what? You can't do that. Um, you have to be a storyteller, period. You don't sit there going, aha, now I can score some points. There are many, many other filmmakers, and filmmakers from Michigan, I might add, who do that, who want to make points about contemporary political things. I'm not interested in that. Hmm. I do know, and I'm not naive, not to realize that human nature never changes. So a good deal of what we're wrestling with now is the same but with different sort of clothes than, than what we were working on back then, what we were wrestling with back then. So any history becomes instructive to the present. So my job is to get my team to just focus on telling the best story we can and not put up neon signs going, see, isn't this like Iraq or Afghanistan? Right. Because I can trust my audience to go, wow, this is like Afghanistan or Iraq. Or, boy, isn't the contemporary uh, argument... I mean, I began this 10 years ago. Now what are we talking about? Uh, White House concerned about leaks. Mm -hmm. We're talking about big document dumps into the press, right? I mean, 
I didn't know that 10 years ago when he started, but we faithfully told the story of the White House concerned with leaks and the document dumps of that era, and they certainly get to be in conversation with what's going on now. But my job is to just, you know what I am? I'm an umpire. I call <laughs> balls and strikes. That's it. That's it. So I I also want to talk to you about the, the power of photography, because being a storyteller, you're obviously telling, telling the story through pictures. And for me, something that stands out about Vietnam is that the image of the girl running down the street, the napalm-burned girl... Um, that Kim Phuc is her name. Did you'll you, get to know her. I was about to say, did you interview her? No, but we you'll, you'll feel like she's a member of your own family by the time it's done. Well, so there's something about that photograph that re- still resonates today. There's something about seeing a child in a war-torn area when we still see images coming out today, coming out of Syria... or or coming out of Turkey, then we see these images of these children that are devastated that I think seeps into people that makes them feel like something needs to change and it's not going right the way it is. that's right. And I just, I I don't, I know, I'm sure that there were plenty of wars before Vietnam that did that to some degree. But for me, in, in, in where photography was, in where television was, that was able to disseminate those photographs in a different way, this seems to me like media was playing a different role with this war that continues on to this day as well. Well, it's playing a, a, a role in Vietnam that it had never played before. Um, in World War II, um, there was a tight control over the, the folks, as it is now, kind of you were embedded. Sure. That's, the, that's the current contemporary word. So there's a control about your access. But in Vietnam, you could really sort of move around and you could capture stuff on the fly. And, and you do have a sense that the nightly news brought footage and the longer documentary specials brought even more footage. And then you had these extraordinary photographs that would end up on the f- top of the fold of the front page of newspapers across the country and actually ar- around the world. And there, of course, Kim Phuc running down the street naked after the accidental attack by her own countrymen. Those were the South Vietnamese Air Force bombing the village and thinking that they were retreating enemy and not, you know, tr- escaping vis- visitors, uh, villagers. That And then the great tragedy of that, you think of the assassination of the spy Lem on the streets of, uh, of Saigon by the police uh, uh, leader, uh, Lawan, in the middle of the Tet Offensive. Um, you think about the helicopter on a rooftop somewhere in Saigon uh, taking the line, the snake of, of people off there on the last day uh, that Saigon would be, uh, South Vietnam would be its own entity. All of those are iconic, and all of them did have the effect of changing opinion, making us move. And I'm a, you know, I... I believe in the world word. I don't believe that the word is the enemy of the picture, but certainly we begin with the word and we want to tell complex stories, but we know, relating back to that cliche, that a picture is worth a thousand words. And maybe it's mm-hmm. been devalued with how many there are now. Maybe it's only 250, but it was powerful. And for Americans, Kim Phuc running down the street or the Lem being assassinated on the streets in 68, a little bit earlier, are these, you know, watershed moments. You can also think of the woman, the student at Kent State, huddled over the body of her dead friend as blood pours down the street in the still photograph, which I think also won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, 
as begin you know, of, of essentially turning the country of saying enough is enough it you know begins with Ted what are we in the business of supporting somebody who has summarily executed somebody on the street regardless of whether that's our enemy or not are we really in the business of doing this to kids are are we really killing our own kids all of these become important moments stations of the cross um however fair or unfair however sort of um, unjustly or justly blown up, uh, they become hugely important moments. And Vietnam is a is a is a watershed period for the power of media to come through. We we see a little bit of the edges in these sort of districts, the refugee camps, or where you see that Syrian child of a year or so ago, you know, dead in the surf which, you know, I thought that was enough to get some action. Right. Or you see the horrific footage from the chemical attacks of last week, and you begin to say, have we become numb to it? But it was interesting. We had an intern in our editing room, 19, 20 years old, and he watched that, and he came in tears at the end of an episode um, in which the guy was assassinated on the streets of Saigon by the police captain and Mm -hmm. said, you know, I've grown up watching violent movies and violent graphic novels and violent comic books and violent video games and TV shows. But he said, but that guy's dead. He just started to cry. Yeah. And I said, yes. And I thought, oh, my God, thank God. We have, you know, not even a millennial, someone younger mm-hmm. than a millennial who is actually desperate to understand a real relationship. And pictures are ways to bring that home. And I hope, you know, this is not just for that intern. This is for everybody in the country. That's our audience. If you lived through it, if you were there, if you cared about somebody who was there, if you wondered what happened during it, we've made the film for you. And it doesn't depend on whether you're red state or blue state or far left or far right or in the middle or male or female or young or old or gay or straight. We're trying to tell a complex story of what Americans got into a hugely, the most important thing that happened to the United States in the second half of the 20th century. Well, you know, it's interesting, the idea of maybe being too inundated with photographs for maybe them to have enough impact. But I I think for me, and I assume this is true for other people, there's something about a photograph being burned into your image and not being able to leave forever. Yes. And um, photography does that in a very distinct way that I don't think any other medium for me resonates journalistically as much. That's right. It fixes that moment with a kind of importance that in our the rush of our day and in all the f- media that we see, I mean, it's not to say that there's isn't film footage that isn't compelling in exactly that same way. Right. There's a Pruder film, you know, right, Rodney exactly. King, you know, even the footage of the assassination of Lem, which we also show, which is even more graphic, and right. will, you will never forget uh, for as long as you live. Something about that, that picture, though, where right the before. Picture, though, yeah. it, it is, you know, that this is the DNA of what I do, and it is the arrested image that is the sort of empty vessel into which we can put stories. And so while we, as you can imagine, on a film about Vietnam, rely a great deal on footage, and that footage is unbelievable compelling, I, I don't think you will ever, as a viewer, have a more experiential uh a sense, you know, that you're living through a moment as you will in this film of ours. Certainly for us, it, it is just so immediate that it's been hard to do over the last uh, 10 years. And everybody who's watched it has said, oh, my goodness, this is, you know, the best thing you've done ever. And I was there and, and, and we, you know, had people watching, advisors 
who represented every corner of scholarship, every political point of view, and more importantly, we didn't do a screening ever without veterans there, mm. veterans of every political stripe responding. And when you see like a, a lefty guy who came back from Vietnam and became part of Vietnam Veterans Against the War with a guy who's you know spent a career in the military and, and has a different point of view on the same battle, you know, going off after a screening, sobbing and putting their arms around each other and realizing that they were the only two people that could really relate in a direct way to what happens, you realize that we've begun to at least open the door for a national conversation, a kind of courageous conversation that permit us to get down below the superficial, reactive stuff about Vietnam and really come to terms with it. Okay, that was documentary filmmaker Ken Burns speaking with Detroit Today producer Laura Weber Davis. Burns is going to be in Ann Arbor on Wednesday to talk about his new film series, The Vietnam War, which premieres this fall on PBS. Thanks very much for being here today. That's going to do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. See you tomorrow.